We like to call it a child of crisis. We felt that there was no place left for us to practice independent journalism uh, but our own space. On January 25th, 2011, thousands of protesters gathered in Cairo to demonstrate against brutal economic conditions in the country and political suppression from Egyptian President Hosni Mubarak and his government. At the top of the protesters' agenda were two demands, the overthrow of Mubarak and the holding of the first free elections in 80 years. This is the PolySci 240 Communication Project. I'm your host, Michael Cavabianco, joined by international relations expert, Harris Horowitz. Today, we're going to discuss the reporting done by the news organization Mata Masr during the Arab Spring Revolutions in Egypt. Mata Masr is a newspaper, not a protest movement, but the work of Mata Masr journalists highlighting the injustices of President Abdel Fattah el-Sisi's government sparked mass demonstrations, and their impact can be understood using international relations scholarships surrounding protest. Throughout this podcast, we will give a brief summary of the political upheaval that occurred in Egypt during the early 2010s before diving into the importance of Mata Masr and its relevance to international politics. The January 25th demonstrations in Egypt were organized primarily through Facebook, characteristic of Arab Spring revolutions across the Middle East, and protesters were inspired by a successful protest movement in Tunisia, which resulted in the removal of longtime Tunisian President Zine El Abidin Ben Ali just 11 days prior. Mubarak agreed to step down on February 11th after two weeks of violent unrest, but not before upwards of 900 protesters were killed by military forces that he deployed to quash the uprising. The military took control of the government, but rejected protesters' calls for the swift formation of a civilian government. In June of 2011, protesters once again took to the streets of Cairo, this time to protest the interim military government. They argued that many of the authoritative practices that characterized Mubarak's regime had continued under the interim government. After a turbulent few months, characterized by violent crackdowns on civilian protests from the military government, free parliamentary elections are finally held on November 29th. Egyptians turned out in record numbers, and the Muslim Brotherhood Party formed the largest bloc. The Muslim Brotherhood was the most organized political opposition group in the country prior to the Arab Spring, and they were banned by Mubarak from participating in the government. Their election sparks optimism in Egypt that the country is finally shedding its ties with their ousted president. Presidential elections were held in May, and Mohamed Morsi, a member of the Muslim Brotherhood Party, emerged victorious after defeating former Prime Minister and Air Force Commander Ahmed Shafiq in a runoff. However, Morsi's government was unable to solve many of Egypt's economic problems during their first year in power. By the summer of 2013, fuel and electricity shortages had the country on edge once again. It is against this backdrop of unrest that Mata Masr was founded on June 30th of 2013. Their mission was to report on the upheaval in Egypt thoroughly and independently, keeping the public informed of pressing issues in the country while holding the government accountable. Just three days after Mata Masr was founded, General Abdel Fattah el-Sisi led a military coup against Morsi's government. Morsi and high-ranking government officials were arrested, and el-Sisi took power, immediately initiating a crackdown on liberal opposition and allies of the ousted regime. On August 14th, el-Sisi's security forces raided pro-Morsi protest camps in Cairo. While the exact death total is unknown, estimates range from 500 to upwards of 2,000. Human rights groups have called the attack the worst massacre in Egypt's modern history. 
El Sisi, who remains in power today, championed a crackdown on independent journalism as soon as he rose to power. Lina Atala, the editor-in-chief of Mata Masar in 2013, described to the Associated Press how Morsi suppressed coverage of the August 14th protester killings. Atala told the Associated Press that it was exceedingly difficult to find coverage of the violence that did not repeat the military's version of events, with few independent witness accounts available. She said, quote, what's scary about this time around media performance is that there's much more agenda setting from above. Mata Master doesn't formally define itself as a protest group, but the work and impact of its journalists can be understood using the language of international relations. The terms that we'll talk about today are crucial in understanding the actions and effects of Mata Master journalists. Yeah, I want to kick it off talking about preference falsification. Preference falsification is when people choose to misrepresent their preferences in times of public pressure. In other words, the way people act in public is not always a direct reflection of what they actually believe. So Harris, can you tell us a little bit more as to why preference falsification is so relevant for the work done by the Mata Master journalists? Yeah, absolutely, Michael. I'd be happy to. While many Egyptians no doubt supported anti-LCC protests internally, many were afraid of the potential ramifications of expressing that support publicly, especially after LCC began brutal crackdowns against anti-government protesters. Mata Master was founded before LCC rose to power, but illuminating the injustices of his regime became a crucial mission for the paper. Through highlighting LCC's wrongdoings and informing the public of the state of protest movements across the country, Mata Master began to influence Egyptians to stop falsifying their preferences. Okay, so the more powerful the movement became, the less inclined people would be to falsify their beliefs, hence bringing the movement closer to a tipping point where change could be legitimately made. Yeah, exactly. That tipping point is referred to by international relations scholars as the snowball effect of dissent. As more people join a protest movement, the potential cost of joining the movement decrease as the protest becomes more mainstream. Eventually, once a critical mass of people join the protest, public opinion can exponentially and suddenly shift in support of the movement. But that's not quite what happened in Egypt. El Sisi, of course, was a general before he was a politician, and the military remained a very strong force in the country after he took power. One of the biggest factors of the success of a protest is whether the police and military hold firm in their support of the government or if they side with the protesters. And in the case of El-Sisi's regime, the government and the military are one and the same. Despite Mata Masar helping to eliminate preference falsification, El-Sisi remains in power to this day. Yeah, in researching for this podcast, I came upon an Al Jazeera article with the headline, Hosni Mubarak's legacy is Abdel Fattah El-Sisi. It really does suck that the Arab Spring movement in Egypt lets a very little substantial change occurring in the country. In the article, journalist Abdullah Al-Aryan writes, quote, the Mubarak era laid the foundations for the political and socioeconomic disaster of El Sisi's rule. Yeah, that's a great quote. And although Madame Masser was unsuccessful in holding El Sisi and his government accountable, they were successful in their role as Norm's entrepreneurs. Norm's also played a key role in Madame Masser's role in the Arab Spring. So what is Norm's? We can define Norm's as accepted standards of behavior that can play a huge role in garnering support during protests. The movement wanted to establish new norms for the Egyptian government and make a statement toward the current regime. Yeah, that's a great point there, Michael. Reporting from Mata Master journalists emphasized that Egyptians should not be satisfied with the status quo of oppression that had persisted for upwards of 80 years in the country. They made an effort to include female voices in their stories specifically, which was a rarity for Egyptian news media prior to the Arab Spring, and that decision helped counter existing gender norms in the country that left women with a restricted role in society. 
Yeah, and Mata Masar also served as a norm entrepreneur on the global stage, illuminating the injustices of the Egyptian government to an international audience and putting pressure on transnational advocacy networks, or TANs, all across the globe to give aid to the country. TANs are either individuals, NGOs, which are non-governmental organizations, religious groups, and anything else that strives for the creation or protection of norms but isn't consolidated in one country. TANs weren't the only way that Egyptian protesters mobilized people around the world, though. In the scope of international relations, international opinion is obviously crucial, and Egyptian protesters recognized that they needed to reach activists across the world in order to make that cause more relatable and really highlight what they were trying to accomplish. Yeah, definitely. And one way that they garnered American media coverage and support was by holding up signs during the protests that were in English. So that way, when an American would see reports of the, the protests, they would actually understand the message. It was a very clear message to the Western world. And I also want to call attention to the name Matamasar itself. In the paper's first article outlining their Michigan, in, in the mission, they highlighted the importance of having an Arabic name that was easy to pronounce in English as to shore up further support from the U.S. Yeah, that decision is reflective of another crucial international relations term relating to protest. Matamasar utilized the boomerang model of activism. While the boomerang model is usually used to describe the work of NGOs, Matamasar definitely fits the definition here, even though they are a journalistic organization. In the boomerang model, activists in one state activate transnational linkages to bring pressure from other states to their own governments. The boomerang model is especially relevant in non-democratic regimes like Egypt under al-Sisi, where citizens need to, ad need to activate international pressure to force change on their governments. Yeah, and when I learned about the boomerang model, it was definitely in the context of NGOs. But Mata Masters reporting did play the same role as NGOs in activating international pressure against LCCs, even though they did it in the form of journalism rather than advocacy. Mata Masters was also astute in employing technology and social media to highlight abuses from LCC's regime. Can you tell us a little bit more about that, Michael? Harris, I would love to. <laughs> Recognizing the power of technology and social media for protests, Mata Masar chose to publish online in order to gain traction on the internet. Mata Masar didn't have such a smooth path though, because naturally, the Egyptian government banned the website. However, Mata Masar responded by continuously changing the website link so the paper was accessible for all, even across the world. Mata Masar's online presence, as well as social media coverage, contributed to the Arab Spring gaining a nickname called the Twitter Revolution, which many still refer to it to this day. And nowadays it seems like a given that social media is a prominent source of news. We see everything that's going around in the world so reflective on social media. But you have to think that in the early 2010s, this was still a relatively new phenomenon. Yeah, I totally agree with that. Your point there brings us to the final international relations term I want to bring up today, which is human rights. Matamaster called out the Egyptian government for egregiously violating human rights, both for its citizens to live freely and for journalists living in Egypt to report without censure and social media made it so much easier to disseminate evidence of these injustices. It's a journalist's duty to be a government watchdog, and that is exactly what Matamasar did throughout the Arab Spring. But most importantly, Matamasar set a powerful precedent for what journalists can do in times of crisis and injustice. Thanks for listening. This has been the PolySide 240 Communication Podcast. I'm Michael Gabbianco, joined alongside Harris Horowitz. We were really intrigued in class when we watched the video highlighting the Arab Spring, hence where the podcast opening quote is from. So thanks for tuning in. We hope you have a great day.